And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. Is this your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order. You know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. The Whistler. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including trivia contests and games, movie reviews, celebrity interviews, showbiz news, and classic radio shows. My co-host is the quintessential Lisa Wolf. In this hour, Jack Webb stars in a sobering Christmas episode of Dragnet from 1949. But first, it's Name That Tune. Lisa Wolf Cullen will play short clips from popular holiday songs. And a Hollywood 360 listener contestant named Tony and I will try to name that tune. Right, Lisa? Okay, this time you've got it right. So we've wow. got Tony on the phone from Chicago. Hey, Tony. What's up, Tony? Hi, Lisa. Hi, Carl. Hi, Mike. Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, it's so great to have you on the phone Merry with us. Merry Christmas. So I hope you're a fan Carl. of Christmas songs. What's that, Tony? Oh, yeah. Well, I love Christmas songs, but I'm thinking Carl's probably going to win a pizza for this. Um, he can't win a pizza on this segment. Not that would be segment. the next hour for hopefully, the real ridiculous. No, hopefully. no, no, from me, from me. Oh, oh. Tony! <laughs> okay. All right, all right. The bet is on. <laughs> <Let's do it. laughs> That'll be fun. Uh, all right, I'm going to play some clips, and as soon as you know the title, shout it out. Here's the first one. Walking home from our house, Christmas Eve. Mama, I caught Mama kissing Santa Claus. Claus. No on Christmas. You got it, Tony. Reindeer. Tony's got it. Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Tony. Here's for Carl. <laughs> That's close. I like your mama. I like your mama. That You're like mama, mama. So, so um, this was originally performed by a husband and wife duo named Elmo and Patsy Trigg Shropshire in 1979. You should try saying that for you. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot of fun. Tony is up. One zip. All right, here we go. Here's the next clip. I saw Mama kissing Santa Claus under the reindeer or under the tree. I saw Mama kissing Santa Claus. Under the, the reindeer, under the tree. Yes. You know who's singing um, in this particular? It's like this boy. His name is like Jeremy something or something. Like the Jackson 5, perchance. Oh, it's the Jackson 5. <laughs> So this yes, was Michael Jackson. This was first recorded in 1952, but it's been covered since then by so many artists, and this one is the most famous, the Jackson 5. I'm actually going to re-record it and have a big hit. I hope you do, yeah. Carl. I wish you well. Sony, what do you think? Oh, uh, having met you in person, you're much more handsome, much taller, and you have a much greater I am voice. tall. I am tall, aren't I? Yeah, yeah. behind well, the microphone, he's about six feet tall. <laughs> uh, All right, uh, here we go. It's one-to-one. I met a man who lives in Tennessee. He was heading for... No idea. Pennsylvania and some homemade pump. You just don't know this version, for chance. I don't know this. Oh, oh, oh. Um, uh, there's 
There's no place like home. That's it. That's it. That's right. So the best known recording was Perry Como in 1954. But then the Carpenters recorded it. Oh, no place like home for the holidays. Oh, you're good, Carl. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, it's either me or Michael Bublé. I'm trying to think um, who's he better. He does that. Is this song who's as better, well. me or Michael Bublé? I'm a Michael oh, Bublé you, fan. All right, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Tony's much nicer than I am. I know. He is. All right, so uh, I think it's two to one. He's got two. You've got yeah. one. Here's right. the next song. Okay. This evening has been hoping that you drop in. I'll hold oh. Come inside. Uh, it's cold like outside. You're really close. Don't. Listen to the fire. Don't go home. Come come inside. <laughs> Listen to music with me. By the fire. <laughs> and what else might they do? <laughs> it's cold outside. Yeah, so they just said it. Did you say that? I didn't get it. It's baby, it's cold outside. I, I so I'm going to give it, it to nobody. It was no. written in 1944. Um, John Legend and Kelly Clarkson have a very popular version of this. They recorded in 2019. Who did? John Legend and Kelly Clarkson. Oh, wow. Um, Dean Martin sang this song. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Kelly Clarkson, she is such a great singer, isn't she? She sure is. And now she's a famous I, I talk mean, show host, yeah. Carl. But, I mean, I saw her on something the other day, and she sang. I mean, it's just her voice is incredible. And it all started on American Idol. Yeah. And she didn't even win. Did really? she? Oh, wait. Wow. I think she won. She did win. Yeah. I she think did she win. win. She won. All right. So it's, all right. it's still two to one. That's Tony, right. Tony winning. Here we go. It's last Christmas. Last Christmas by Wham. You're right. Oh, it was Wham. Wham. Released in 1984. It was written and produced by George Michael. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cool song. Mm-hmm. Got that 80s vibe, you know? Yeah. yeah. Gosh, what happened to the 80s? I don't, it's like I, aren't we 40 still there? years ago. <laughs> are we still there? It's 40 years ago, what? Tony. <laughs> Tony, help that's, us. That's crazy. 40 years ago, we're, the 80s. We're going to bring them back. We're bringing yeah, the let's 80s bring them back. back, yeah. All right, I'm all for it. All right. I'd still, really choose the 70s, but I'll go with the 80s. It's two to one, Tony. All right, there's I actually only, prefer the 90s. Well, that's because you're young. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what does he know? That's right. We'll give him some 90s. All right, this is your final song. Okay. So it's either a win or a tie. Let's do this. All right. When Come we on, finally Tony. kiss goodnight. It's, baby, it's cold outside. No, We did that one already. <laughs> <laughs> what is this song? I love you, Carl. All the way let home it snow. There it is. Oh, yeah. Let it snow, let it snow, Tony. let it snow. Written in 1945. Oh, that was awesome. Thanks, buddy boy. Wow. Frank Sinatra released the version in 1950. Let it snow. There it is. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Oh, my gosh. You might need a few lessons, but you're working. You're a great Tony, you're the best. Oh man, I'm oh, gonna send you, you some fun too. CDs. God bless you guys. All right, Christmas. you, you too, buddy. Groups. All right, you know Thanks, it. Thanks, Tony. It was great Thanks, having Tony. you. Tony, when we come back, a very, very sobering episode of Dragnet. You won't want to miss it. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. 
Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-494-8310. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-494-8310. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-494-8310. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. All right, Dragnet, Jack Webb. He was the uh, the real force behind this series. He created it. He started it. He directed it. Um, it aired from 1949 all the way to 1957. Nine seasons on the radio. It's a long time. And he played uh, police detective Sergeant Joe Friday. And these were... Well, I would say the most famous police procedural of all time. Definitely Dragnet. And then it went to television, huge on TV. This episode is um, really, um, I don't know, it's heartwarming, but it's also really sad. It's a Christmas story that you won't want to miss. I'm telling you, listen very closely to this episode. It's called The Twenty Two Caliber Rifle for Christmas. Jack Webb stars. Here's part one from December 22nd, 1949, of Dragnet. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to homicide detail. A small boy is reported missing from his home. His age, nine years. Foul play is suspected. Your job, find him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department... You will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Thursday, December 22nd. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was on the way into work, and it was 3.55 p.m. when I got to room 42. Homicide. Hi, Joe. Ben, what's doing? Oh, pretty quiet. How's your mother? Well, that cold's still hanging on. Bad cough. Doc says it's nothing serious. My kid's got the same thing. Must be some kind of a virus going around. Yeah. Is that a new suit you got on? Oh, yeah. Ma figured I needed one. Let me see. Oh, yeah, that's a nice shade of blue. Where'd you get it? Quincy's down in South Fig. Look okay? Turn around. Oh, yeah, that's a good fit. Uh, did you get all the reports on the Webster case yet? Yeah, all taken care of. Let me get it. Homicide, Friday. Well, this is Levinson, Unit 113J. 
got something for you. Yeah, Harry, what's doing? Doherty and I are out here on Collis Avenue, 4656. Trying to track down a nine-year-old boy. What's the story? The kid's missing, suspicion of foul play. How long has he been gone? About two hours. Looks like a job for homicide. How do you figure? The kid was last seen playing in the backyard of his home. Yeah? We checked over the yard. Find anything? Bloodstains, lots of them. They look new. Ben and I left a message for Chief of Detectives Thad Brown. Then we went over to the crime lab, picked up Lieutenant Lee Jones, and drove out the Arroyo Seco freeway to Collis Avenue. It was an average neighborhood. Number 4656 was a one-story green stucco residence situated on the corner of Collis Avenue and Harrison Drive. Beyond the backyard was a tract of undeveloped land covered with scrub oak. Harry Levinson from Highland Park Juvenile was waiting for us in front of the house. Back this way, fellas. I'm coming, Link. Wait till I get my back. Okay. Who notified you that the boy was missing, Harry? The mother. Said she went out to do some Christmas shopping about 11 this morning, left the boy home. Came back about 2 this afternoon, he was gone. What's the name? Johnstone. Kid's name is Stanley, 9 years old. Mm-hmm. Was this gate open like this when you got here? Oh, yeah, I haven't touched a thing. Uh, here are the stains over here, Lieutenant Jones, uh, along the edge of the walk, see? Yeah. Let me see. Quite a few stains, huh? Looks like it might be blood. I'll tie some benzidine on these spots here. And there we are. See what happens? Where's the kid's mother now, Harry? In the house. Doherty's talking to her. Did you talk to any of the neighbors? People next door. Uh, one's on this side. They couldn't tell us anything. There it is, fellas. Yelly. These spots I covered with benzidine. They're turning blue. Blood stains, all right. Can't say definitely whether it's human or animal blood. Mm-hmm. You have to go back to the lab to run it through. Yeah, biological precipitant test. Hand me one of those glass vials from my bag, will you? Yeah. Okay, here you are. Hey, thanks. Scrape some of these flakes off for a test. There we are. How soon can you tap the blood for us, Lee? Precipitant tests won't run more than 20 minutes. It'll take three or four hours to run a blood grouping, though. That's it. Anything else you want to check? Levinson, anything else? Oh, uh, right here in my handkerchief. Empty shell. That marker over there by the rose bush, that's where I found it. Uh, from the 22, huh? Yeah. Might tie in, might not. Mark it and dump it in this envelope, will you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shell. There you go. Did you get out a missing broadcast on the boy, Harry? Uh, Darty did about a half hour ago. Oh, here's a description here. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mother know about the bloodstains? No, we didn't tell her. She's worried enough already. And she has no idea what might have happened to her boy? No more than we do. She checked all her friends, relatives. We're covering the neighborhood. No trace so far. Not much to go on. Bloodstains, empty cartridge. Could mean a hundred things. Mm. Any ideas, Franny? Yeah, just one, and I don't like it. p.m. Thursday, December 22nd. The neighborhood search for nine-year-old Stanley Johnstone continued. Lee Jones went back to the crime lab to start the precipitant test and the blood grouping. Levinson and his partner, Doherty, from Highland Juvenile, stood by. We called Chief of Detectives Thad Brown, and he ordered up a special detail to aid in the search for the missing boy. Ben and I questioned the boy's mother, Mrs. Ruth Johnstone, a woman in her early 40s. She seemed fairly calm under the circumstances. Miss Johnstone, um... Is your boy standing in the habit of wandering off without telling you where he's going? No, he's not in the habit of wandering off, but he has done it before. When was the last time, Miss Johnstone? You don't have any children, do you, Sergeant Friday? No, I'm not married. Well, there comes that time in every young boy's life when he feels that it's time to leave home, to go out on his own. Usually happens somewhere around 
eight to ten. I think I know what you mean. I got a boy. Well, then you know how it is. My husband and I scolded Stanley one day after school, and he was quite put out about it. He thought George and I were unfair. Packed a few of his things and left. How long was he gone? Oh, no time at all. About two hours. I was worried about him, but my husband said to leave him alone. Said every boy had to go through that stage. Well, then you think he's run away from home again this time? Yes, I think so. He's been gone about four hours now, and I have a funny feeling about it. Did you and his father have some misunderstanding with the boy recently? Well, that's just it. We haven't. I don't mind telling you now that we're talking about it. I'm, I am getting worried. Any place around that he might like to visit? Hobby shop, playground, where he might be? Yeah, there's um, Jensen's model shop and little Shanna Burroughs, but I've already called him and he hasn't been seen all day. I called all his friends. They have no idea where he is either. We'd like a list of all his friends and the places that he was known to frequent. Oh, yeah, all right. I'll give them to you. Where do you suppose he is? Where's your husband now, Miss Johnstone? Oh, he's at work. George works for the city. He's a fireman. What house is he stationed at? Engine Company 12. He's working the A platoon. He'll be home tomorrow morning. I haven't told him that Stanley's gone. Was there any chance that the boy might be down at the firehouse with his father? No. No, he seldom goes down there anymore. No, I don't think he's there. I'm awfully worried. May I call my husband? Certainly. Go right ahead. I know George will be worried. Stanley's been gone too long. Hello? May I speak with George Johnstone? This is Mrs. Johnstone. Thank you. I hate to call George at his work. Yes, ma'am. Does your husband own a gun? Yes, he does. What caliber? Do you know? Well, it's a forty-five automatic. He got it. George? This is Ruth. George, is Stanley down there with you by any chance? Oh. No, I can't find him anywhere. He hasn't been here when I came home from my shopping. Uh, there are two policemen here. No, I said there are two policemen here. Oh, no, dear. I'll call you if we don't find him soon. All right, dear. Yes, you too. Goodbye. Well, I, I didn't think he'd be with George. That forty-five. is that the only gun in the household? Well, yes. Why are you asking about guns? Is... Has anything happened that you're not telling me about? No, ma'am, just routine checking. We'll have to take a look at that forty-five off, if you don't mind. Maybe I should tell you. We, we do have another gun in the house, but it, it's all wrapped up. George bought it for Stanley's Christmas present. May we see it, please? Well, yes. Will, will you have to unwrap it? Yes, I'm afraid so. Well, I think I can reach it. We, we had to hide it. So let me see. Here's the paper it was wrapped in. Stanley must have found it. It's gone. See, here's the gift card in the box the gun came in. The rifle. Can I look at that box, ma'am? Thank you. How about it, Joe? Twenty-two caliber. <laughs> Thursday, December 22nd, 5.15 p.m. It was getting dark. The search for the missing boy continued. We checked the list of Stanley Johnstone's friends. None of them or their parents had any idea of his whereabouts. We talked with Levinson again. He had been in touch with the detail combing the neighborhood. They had found nothing. We went down to Collis Avenue and 10th Street, service station on the corner. One nickel, Joe? No, I got one. You watch for that, huh? Yeah. Two six six seven, please. Two six six 
Hi, Lee. Joe Friday. Yeah, Joe. Any sign of the Johnson kid? No, not yet. How are you coming? Finished the precipitant test. It's human blood. Yeah. Working in the blood group now. Do you know what type the Johnson boy has? Well, we didn't want to upset his mother. I thought we'd wait till the last thing. We're still in the neighborhood. A check with the family physician. That way you won't disturb him. Yeah, we figured on that. Oh, just a minute, Lee. Good. Yeah, Ben. Boss just pulled up. Okay. Uh, Thad Brown's out here now. I'll check you later, Lee, huh? Yeah, right, Joe. All right, goodbye. Gentlemen, how's it going? Just checked with Lee Jones. Yeah, I know. It's human blood. What do you think? We talked with the boy's mother, Miss Johnston. Found a gun missing. Yeah. Caliber's the same as the empty casing that Levinson found. Twenty-two. You said the gun was missing. Yeah, the Johnstones were going to give it to the boy as a Christmas present. They had it hidden, but it's gone now. Any idea who took it? Well, they left the Christmas wrapping behind. I think it was the kid. Twenty-two rifle, huh? Nine-year-old boy. When are they going to learn? First, it's carbide cannons on the 4th of July. The city issued ordinance after ordinance, but a few thousand kids around the country had to lose their eyes, fingers, hands before the parents gives us their full cooperation to outlaw them. I know what you mean. Sure you do. You and every other cop in the country became the heavies trying to clamp down on them. It's always the same story. This time it's guns for Christmas. I know what you're thinking, but we're not sure yet. Listen, Friday, there's a city ordinance against giving a gun to a kid. You know that. Yes, I know that. There's a missing boy and a missing gun. There's blood on the ground and an empty shell. That's enough for me. We're going to stay with it. Something's got to break. Yeah. I hope it's not the hearts of that kid's parents. Oh, hi, Chief. I've been looking for you, Friday. What do you got, Harry? Found the gun. New twenty-two rifle. Strong smell of cordite. I'd say it's been recently fired. Where'd you find it, Levinson? Uh, back up there in that scrub oak. Up behind the Johnston house. Mrs. Johnstone identified it. Buckley took it down to the crime lab. Thanks, Harry. Uh, is Miss Johnstone okay? Mm, pretty sick now. Killaby came up with something else. What's that? There's another one missing. An eight-year-old boy. Okay, we're listening to Dragnet, December 22nd, 1949, Christmas show called the 22 Caliber Rifle for Christmas, starring Jack Webb, also in the cast, Barton Yarborough. Um, Peggy Weber is in this program as well, good pal of this show. She is uh, live and well in California. She was on a ton of radio shows, and she's often a guest on our program, mm-hmm. Peggy Weber, in this program. Hope you're enjoying Dragnet. More coming your way in a minute. Do want to remind everyone listening that we have a club called the Classic Radio Club. We'd love you to join it. If you want to learn all about it, you will not only get CDs of classic radio sent to your home with a historical liner notes, but you'll get our full podcast. And the first month is only $1. You'll get a full 5-CD, 10-show CD set with a booklet sent to you for a dollar, plus shipping and handling. And we do that for a reason. We do that so you can check it out, try it out, see if you love it. If you do, terrific. And if you don't, no problem. Yeah. And if you don't cancel, you'll get a new collection every 30 days with Tons of classic radio shows. All right, we'll we'll be right back. Go to classicradioclub.com. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Lone Ranger, Sam Spade, Burns and Allen, Have Gun, Will Travel, Gangbusters, and Sherlock Holmes, become a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, you'll receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows along with historical liner notes. The 10 shows will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. You'll also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Carl Amari and I co 
co-host. In total, you'll receive 34 Classic Radio shows per month. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Before the break, we were talking about the Classic Radio Club, and I forgot to give the website, ClassicRadioClub.com. All of the information is there, and i got to tell you, we have had this club for maybe five years now. I have people, and I because we I put the date when someone joins, I have people that have joined five years ago that are still club members. They get the CD sets or the digital downloads every 30 days. We create a new set for our club members, right? And it has 10 shows, 10 half-hour shows. And for Christmas, you know, for December, we had some Christmas shows in there. In November, we have Thanksgiving shows. June, we have Father's Day, Mother's Day for Mother's Day, you know, Halloween shows for Halloween. We do all that, too, you know. Um, But there's the shadow and Jack Benny, and Suspense. We mix it up. We give you the best of the best. But the most important thing, Lisa, this is, you know me, I'm all about quality. And what we do, we we actually do transfers of these radio shows. So we get the 16-inch master recordings from the rights holders, and we do the transfers. And those are the ones that go in the Classic Radio Club. Because I want Classic Radio Club members to put the CDs in their CD player and go, wow, Mm -hmm. that's important to me. And then Carl Shadow, who is an expert about these classic radio shows, he helps me write the liner notes. I write the first draft, then he, you know, fixes any errors I may have and does just a great job with the liner notes. There's photos of the stars. It's a really, we put a lot of effort, you know this, we put a ton of effort, and then Mike digitally remasters the audio, and we send it to a manufacturer. We get them back on CD in the case. It's beautiful. And those are what are sent to our Classic Radio Club members. And as I was saying before the break, the first month, we want people that are interested in joining the club, we want them to experience what these CD sets are like. And we only charge a dollar for that, just $1 plus shipping and handling, four ninety nine. And you will get that sent. Now, if for any reason you don't want to continue, just cancel. And you don't you won't get the next set. But every month, every 30 days, you'll get a new set. Those are nineteen ninety nine plus shipping and handling. Just let you know. I mean, obviously that these cost a lot more than a dollar. Um, but that first month we lose money because we just want you to experience what those uh, CDs are all about. Now, if you're not someone who wants CDs, if you're into digital downloads, we send the exact same shows every month right to your email. Those links never expire, and the booklet is sent via PDF. You just click it, open it, read all about the shows. So that's only $9.99 a month, and again, you only pay $1 the first month. So it's all at our website, ClassicRadioClub.com, ClassicRadioClub.com. Or if you are interested, we're here for a couple more hours tonight you can call 815-900-7535. We'll sign you up. 815-900-7535. Either 
Myself or Lisa will answer the phone. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to send you up to the club. And uh, we'll send your first CDs in the mail on Monday. And what a great Christmas gift Mm -hmm. for yourself or for somebody else. ClassicRadioClub.com. And as I say, we're here for a few more hours, 815-900-7535. All right, we're listening to Dragnet with Jack Webb from December 22nd, 1949. Here's the conclusion. 6.30 p.m. We talked with Officer Killaby about the other missing boy. He told us that his name was Stephen Morheim, eight years old. His family had just moved into the neighborhood and it seemed that no one besides the Morheim family knew that the boys played together. Mrs. Morheim told us that Stephen told her that he was going out to play and that he'd be home by 6 o'clock for dinner. She told us that he was an unusually prompt boy and almost never overstayed his playtime. We got a description of the Morheim boy and put out a missing broadcast. We called the Johnstone's family doctor. He told us that Stanley's blood was type O. At 7 p.m., we talked again with Mrs. John Morheim. Are you sure Mrs. Johnstone doesn't know where the boys are? She has no idea, Ms. Morheim. It's terrible. It's just awful. I feel there's more to this thing. Something you're not telling me. Well, there's no use to upset you until we know a few things for sure. Then you are holding back something. Oh, please try not to worry, Ms. Morheim. There are certain questions we'll have to ask, routine questions in any kind of investigation. Is there anything else you want to know? Yes, ma'am. What is your boy's blood type? That's a funny question. Do you think anything's happened to him? Have you found him and you're not telling me? No, ma'am, we haven't found him. We don't think anything's happened to him. His blood type? Yes, ma'am. I think I have it written down in Stevie's baby book. Yes, here it is. Type O. Thank you. What if I might use your phone, please? Yes, of course. It's in the hall. I'll be right back, ma'am. Yeah, okay. Two six six seven, please. Two six six seven. Cram Pinker. Hello, Ray. This is Friday. Lee there? Uh, just a minute, Joe. Take two, Lee. John speaking. Checking back, Lee. Uh, did you get the blood types on the two missing boys? Yeah, both boys type O. So are the stains, Joe. Type O. You are listening to Dragnet for the solution to an actual case from official police files. Eight p.m. Thursday, December twenty-second. Still no sign of either of the missing boys. Chief of Detectives Thad Brown went back to headquarters to direct the search from there. He dispatched another detail of fifty men to aid in the hunt for the missing youngsters. Eight thirty p.m. It was getting colder. The citrus growers were warned to expect a freeze. We went up the block to see Mrs. Johnstone. Her husband had quit work early and returned home. We talked with him. He could tell us nothing more than we already knew. We still had not informed either of the families about the blood stains and the empty cartridge casing which had been discovered in the backyard of the Johnstone home. It was more than possible that they had a right to know about our findings, but Ben and I felt that there was no cause to add to the distress of the two families at this time. If the two missing boys were found alive and well, then the blood stains in the cartridge case would be of no concern to the relieved parents. At 8.40 p.m., Ben and I left the Johnstone house and went to the home of Mr. and Mrs. John Morheim. Ms. Morheim, you said your husband worked at a market? Yes. 
He telephoned about 15 minutes ago and said he was closing up right away. He'll be here any minute. I do wish Stevie would call or come home. It's so cold out tonight. All he had on was a thin cotton jacket. Please try not to worry. We're doing everything we can. He's going to be all right. Stevie's father's such a sensitive man. He and the boy are so close. I know he's terribly upset. No, you're sure there's no place you might have forgotten? Someplace where the boy might be? No, no place. No. Anything happened to the boy, it'll just kill you. No, no. You sit still. I'll get it, Miss Morgan. Joe? Hi, Harry. The Johnstone kid. He's been found. He's home, Sergeant. He's come home. Thank God he's all right. Where's he been? Did he tell you? No. No, he didn't. He, his clothes were all dirty and he's acting strange. I've never seen him like this. How do you mean, Miss Johnson? Well, he just came in the front door and said, Hello, Mom. And then he sat down in a chair and stared at the floor. He won't talk to his father or me. Do you mind if I talk to him? No, go ahead. I asked him about the little Moorheim boy and he wouldn't tell me a thing. Where is he now? In the living room. Looks all right. Yes. Son. Son, this is a police officer. He, he wants to talk to you. Now, don't be afraid, dear. He only wants to ask you some questions. Son. You see, Sergeant? Stanley, come on, look at me, son. Get your head up, youngster. Come on, now that's better. I had your mother pretty worried, you know that. You want to tell us where you've been? I wish you'd try to get him to eat a little something. You hear that, son? Want something to eat? Stanley, there's another little boy up the street who hasn't come home. Do you know where he is? His father and mother are worried about him, too. Just like your folks were. You've got to help us find him, son. I... I killed him. I killed Steve with the 22. We were only playing. <laughs> but I killed him. How do you know you killed him? Maybe he's only hurt. Now, isn't that it? <laughs> no, he's dead. I know he's dead. The gun went off. We forgot we put bullets in there. Where is he, Stanley? I hit him. I was scared. I didn't want anybody to find him. Where did you hide him, son? In a cave up on the hill. I didn't mean it. It was my pal. You want to show us where, son? Yes, I'll show you. Please don't send me to jail. 9.15 p.m., Thursday, December 22nd. Nine-year-old Stanley Johnstone led the way up the hill behind the backyard of his home. He showed us the wagon he moved the body in. His father came along with us. About 50 feet from the crest of the hill, the boy pointed to a thicket of scrub oak. There we found a small cave holding the body of Stephen Morheim. There was a single bullet wound in his chest just below his heart. He was dead. We covered the body. Stanley. Stanley, how did it happen? I knew my folks were going to give me the gun for Christmas. I knew where it was, and I got it. There was a box of bullets with it. Were you pointing the gun at Stephen? No, sir. No, sir, I wasn't. It was Steve's turn to play with it. I was chasing him... He tripped over the stump there in our backyard and fell. The gun hit him in the stomach. And it went off. 
Why do you think you killed him if you're telling us the truth? I'm telling the truth. Honest. That's the truth. All right, I believe you, son. But why do you think you killed him? It was my gun. Steve would still be alive if I didn't go and get it. I should have waited till Christmas. It's all my fault. Where have you been all this time? In the cave with Steve. What were you doing in there, son? I was praying. I was praying for God to make him alive again. After a thorough investigation, Ben and I were convinced that the shooting of Stephen Morheim was accidental. Lieutenant Lee Jones' findings substantiated the John Stone boy's story even to the smallest detail. We put in a call to the coroner's office and acquainted him with the facts. He designated a local mortuary to handle the body pending autopsy and granted us permission to remove the body to the Morheim home. Mrs. Morheim collapsed. The family doctor was called. Ben and I sat in the living room to wait for John Morheim, the dead boy's father. Edith! Edith! Mr. Morheim? Yes. You the police? Yes, sir. Where's Edith? Where's my wife? Has my boy come home? Have you found him? Yes, sir. Oh, where is he? St- Steve! Stevie! Where's Steve? He's hurt, isn't he? Yes, sir. Oh, where is he? I want to see him. He's hurt bad, Mr. Morheim. Oh, where is he? I want to see him. He's in his room. How bad? Pretty bad. He's... He's dead. All right, if I go in? If you want to. Will you go with me? Sure. Don't make it any harder on yourself, Mr. Morheim. I want to see my boy. Stevie. Mr. Morheim. Stevie, Stevie, Stevie. Listen to me, son. We've got you a lot of nice things for Christmas. Everything you wanted. I, I got you the three new cars for the train. The one with the searchlight is really works. <laughs> Son, you... You got that new switch you wanted to it. A lot more track. <laughs> Playing with a gun, he went 
now. What was the other boy's name? Stanley Johnston. It was an accident. Mr. Morheim, where are you going? I want to see that boy. We had no idea what the dead boy's father had in mind. We didn't feel that we should try to restrain him. We went along with him up the street to the Johnstone home. I'm Stevie's father. Where's your boy? I'm sorry. Where's your boy? He's right here. Won't you come in? It's all right, Mrs. Johnstone. You... You the boy that was with Stevie? Yes, sir. What's your name? Stanley. Stanley. I know it wasn't your fault, Stanley. I wonder if you'd do something for me. Yes, sir. I've got a lot of nice presents for Stevie. I know he'd want you to have them. I want to give them to you. Christmas Eve. Mom? I, I think that would be a fine idea, son. Come on, Ben. does it all prove, Joe? You don't give a kid a gun for Christmas. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On December 24th, 1948, a coroner's inquest was held in the county morgue, city and county of Los Angeles, state of California. In a moment, the results of that inquest. At the coroner's inquest, it was officially recorded that Stephen Morheim's death was the result of an accident. Stanley Johnstone, age nine, was absolved of any legal responsibility for his friend's death. You have just heard Dragnets, a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Acting Chief of Police, W.A. Wharton, Los Angeles Police Department. Dragnet honors Hennepin County, Minneapolis, state of Minnesota, and the men of the Hennepin County Sheriff's Office, another of America's great law enforcement agencies. One of these men, Sheriff Ed Ryan, veteran police officer and department administrator who dedicates his life to making yours more secure. Fatima Cigarettes has brought you Dragnet, portion transcribed from Los Angeles. Be sure to hear songs by Morton Downey tonight on NBC. Bing, bong, boing. (laughs) Something like that, yeah. (laughs) That's Dragnet, uh, December 22nd, 1949. Very sobering episode. Uh, The 22 caliber rifle for Christmas starring Jack Webb. These were all true stories, Lisa. They dramatized them for radio, changed the names, but 
uh, the radio and TV show all used uh, actual cases, closed cases from the LAPD. Hope you enjoyed that. Time for this month in music history. And we're going back to the 1980s with this song. This is Foreigner. Right? Foreigner. I don't hear anything. This is Foreigner. Is this like a joke? I'm hearing it. I don't hear it. Your headphones are gone. There's nothing. Okay, well, you're on the air. It's Foreigner. uh, It is Foreigner, but I don't hear uh, anything. Well, your headphones that went out. We'll fix it. Uh, it's technical difficulty on your okay, end. Okay, anyways, radio. you're right. It is foreigner. Uh, looking for a woman like Waiting you. for a girl like you. You're so close. <laughs> yeah. So close by foreigner. <laughs> yeah. Peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot 100. Can you hear yourself talking? 1981. I hear nothing. Oh, you're nothing? <laughs> I hear nothing. I see nothing. I know nothing. I'm just talking. Hear no evil. See no evil. Yep. Right? Yep. Anyway. Like that. Uh, I love this song. It's, it's one of, great. It's just, like one of my favorite songs. Wish I could hear it. <laughs> I've been waiting for a girl like you. He sings high, you know? It's like really high. Anyway, all right. When we come back, it's more of Hollywood 360. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. In our next hour, it's a hilarious Christmas shopping episode of the Jack Benny program from 1950. But first, we'll play Is It Real or Is It Ridiculous? The music edition, and I'm going to win a pizza. Well, we'll see about that. This is Mariah Carey Christmas songs. The Queen of Christmas will be singing. Mariah Carey Christmas songs. That's right. Huh. Hmm. hmm. Very interesting. I'm going to win a pizza. I hope not. I'm telling you. I'm, I'm going to win a pizza. I'm going to win a pizza. It's my turn. All right. That's all in our next hour. So stick around. We'll be right back here on Hollywood 360. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire. Become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.